Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, part 17 in our series on the Gospel of John. Today's message is entitled, Jesus in the Storm. And we're looking at a story where Jesus finds his disciples in the midst of a storm and they find him walking on water. We're going to ask ourselves the question today in this message of what does this story reveal to us about God? How does Jesus show himself to his disciples and to us for our own personal walks? Hey, just a quick note that uh, we have a lot of great things coming up here at North Shore Vineyard. We have Wild at Heart kicking off this coming Saturday for the guys, 7.30 to 9.30 a.m., at the church. We've also got a women's group studying Brennan Manning's book, Abba's Child. It'll be kicking off at the end of the month of June. And right now we've also got another project called Renew Covington in which we're going to be helping uh, build a home for a woman in the Covington area who's uh, in need of some help with her house. So all kinds of things you can get involved with, good stuff going on all around. But that's enough of that. If you want to know more, check out our website, northshorevineyard.org. Let's head over to the talk, downtown Covington, North Shore Vineyard Church. Thanks for listening. Um, We're coming to John chapter 6, verse 16, just to catch you up on last week if you weren't here. Um, A little bit with Jesus, better than a whole lot without. We we found out last week about Jesus and the miracle of feeding the 5,000 with a sack lunch. And if you weren't here, you missed a, a wonderful little blues ditty. Uh, we're we're going to come out with Gospel of John the Musical um, next year. So um, <laughs> you can expect that. Um, but right after this feast, we, th- this feeding of the 5,000, that's where we pick up today. So in verse 16, chapter 6 says this. When evening came, his disciples went down to the way- lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three, three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day the crowd who had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. You know, one thing I love about this time of the year, it's the beginning of summer blockbuster movie season right and one of my favorite kind of movies to catch this time of year is superhero movies we got any superhero movie fans yes superhero movies rock most of the time green lantern nah, not so much but uh <laughs> a few weeks ago i got to take ezra to go see the avengers anybody seen that oh that was cool avengers was cool what's even more cool is my son thinks that i look like thor Yeah. Cape? Hammer? Yeah. So Ezra actually tries to tell his friends at school that my dad looks like Thor. And his friends say, your dad doesn't have that many muscles. 
And Ezra says, yes, he does. He's just hiding them. <laughs> Quite convincingly. <laughs> Underneath that mild-mannered exterior, he, he's just, looks like He-Man. No, uh, actually, it was, it was funny. Several years ago, Ezra was about five years old, and there's something about a child at that, that age, they just look up to their dad, you know, and they, they just think you're, you're a hero. And actually, Ezra, at that point of his life, you know, psychologists call this magical thinking. And uh, he, Ezra actually thought that I was kind of a superhero. And one day, it was confirmed for him. We were heading on a camping trip in Mississippi, and we decided to stop over in Macomb. And we, we get out at this gas station. I'm putting gas in the, in the car, and all of a sudden, I look over to where the entrance of the, the gas station was. And there was a car parked there that, that was starting. Uh, th- this truck started moving backwards. Obviously, the, the person had forgot to put it in park or uh, put on the parking rate. So it's, it's starting to roll out. And so all of a sudden, I spring into action, and I run over there, and, and I get on the back of that truck, and, and, and I stop it from rolling, and then I begin pushing it back, and, uh, which was no big deal for me. I had a, a, a small Toyota pickup at the time that often had you know, starter problems and stuff, so I'd, I'd had to push start small pickups on several occasions. I was not intimidated, but Ezra, he's sitting in the back seat, and his eyes just began to, in his world, he was thinking, any moment, Dad's going to pick this truck up and sling it across the parking lot. Because his dad's a superhero. Now, he told me what he was thinking, and I didn't try to correct him because I figure it's just kind of amazing when you've got one person, at least one person in the world, who thinks that you're a superhero. (laughs) Uh, I say all that to say that, that when we come to this passage today, it's tempting to look at Jesus uh, in this particular instance as kind of a superhero. You know, Aquaman has the ability to talk to fish. Superman can leap tall buildings with a single bound, right? And he's got x-ray vision. Um, Iron Man has a cool suit and lots of gadgets. Jesus, it's tempting to to look at him as a a superhero who's got the power of walking on water, turning, uh, you know, multiplying food and healing sick people. I could, I could very easily see him making it into the pantheon of, of, of superheroes in Marvel's comics. In, in one sense, coming to this miracle, it seems kind of weird. I, I think most of us have no problem with the Jesus that, that is the good moral teacher, that, that teaches us about loving God and loving people. Everybody, no, no arguments there. Everybody accepts that kind of Jesus. Forgive people. We like that guy. Many of us are comfortable with the Jesus who, uh, you know, is as the prophet who critiques religion, who, who calls into question the, the stuck-up, hypocritical Pharisees. We like that guy, the rebel Jesus, the one who turns over the tables in the temple. We like that. But what are we to make of this Jesus who walks on the water in the middle of a storm at night? It just seems kind of superhero-y. Is that a word? Hero-y? <laughs> it is now. We're adding that to our list of North Shore terms. What is this thing about? What is the purpose of it? I mean, I can see the purpose of feeding the 5,000. I can see the purpose beyond a lot of things. But why is this thing thrown in there? Was Jesus just showing off? You know, actually, when I was reading this, I was kind of imagining you know, Mary 
bathing a young Jesus, you know. It's time to go to bed, and he's in there taking a bath, and she comes back in there to check on him, and he's standing on top of the water in the bathtub. Uh, Might have happened. Might have happened. I don't know. (laughs) What is this? What is this passage about? And I guess the question I want us to look at it today is what does this reveal to us about God? Because there's one thing we're going to get into. I really believe that this is as crazy as it sounds. I believe it actually happened. But why did it happen? Well, I believe it happened because Jesus wanted to reveal himself to his disciples in a certain way. It had a purpose to it. It wasn't just showing off. You know, the, the, I think the overarching thing that we need to realize, and I've, I've been saying this for weeks now, the Gospel of John very much parallels the, the, the book of Exodus. And we've seen how Jesus is cast in, in the light and in the role of a Messiah that's like Moses, who's going to be a deliverer for his people. We've seen that, that Jesus, uh, like God in the Old Testament, who fed the, the, the children of Israel manna, we see Jesus fill, feeding the children of Israel in the wilderness with loaves and fishes. And many Bible commentators have said this, this, this miracle of Jesus walking on the water, it's, it's kind of parallel to Moses taking his own people through the Red Sea, showing mastery over the elements, bringing them through a time of trial. That, that even as God walked the people through the Red Sea, Jesus walks his disciples through a storm in a miraculous way. Now, one of the guys on our teaching team, y'all, y'all probably know Al LeBlanc. Al LeBlanc is a, is a lawyer. Don't hold that against him. And, uh, and he's also a sailor. He sailed boats for... So actually, Al... Sometimes he gets on a roll with we, our teaching team meets each week, and I try to get feedback from everybody. Al gave me a message this week because I was going to skip this one because I'm like, the way John covers this, he doesn't even go into much detail here. It's a pretty short passage, and I'm like, I don't even know about this one. And, and, and Al said, look, th- there's a couple of things that stand out to me as a lawyer. Number one, if you're trying a case and you get one credible witness, that's a pretty good thing. But if you get two witnesses that say the same thing, that corroborate one another's story, you're you're on the way to having a very tight case. Now, very rarely can you get three witnesses to to the scene of something that all corroborate the same story. And that's what we find with this story. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what you call the synoptic gospels. And they're very similar. You can read a very similar story in Matthew that you'll find in Mark. You can read a very similar story in Mark that you'll find in Luke. But John is one of these books that doesn't have a whole lot of overlap with the other stories. Except, certainly in the crucifixion and resurrection. And in this, we see that both John, Matthew, and Mark all speak of the feeding of the 5,000. Followed by an event where Jesus walks on the water and delivers his disciples from a storm. In legal terms, Al was saying, that's about all you'd need to to make the case, even in historical terms. There's enough people that corroborate the same story. And when I'm looking at this story, I I, kind of think, why would anybody throw this kind of story in if it didn't have truth to it? But we're not here to argue over the truth of it. We do that at other things. So we have the witnesses, but we also have... A few ideas about the boat. You know, Al was telling me this last week. You know, he, he's like, he knows something about sailing small boats. He's actually won a national championship uh, sailing uh, 
boats, him and Judy. Judy was, they, they made their own little crew, and, and uh, they, they would compete in these things. For 30 years, they, they would do these races all over it. And he said, you know, in, a, in, in modern sailboats, the technology exists where even if a wind is blowing directly at you, you can use this, this uh, thing called tacking, where you can tack and, and actually almost go directly into the wind with a sail. And I can't wrap my mind around that. I try to figure out how does that work. But it works. Modern sailboats can do that. However, the boats that the disciples would have had, I got to, to see some replicas of them uh, when I was over in Israel a year ago. And they're, they're basically glorified rowboats. You know, the, these boats are not, they call them sailboats sometimes, but these are not like sailboats like we think of sailboats. Think of a rowboat with 12 guys in it and, and a stick in the middle of it and, and a sheet. <laughs> You're kind of getting around the technology uh, uh, of these guys. Now, these were guys who all grew up around Galilee. Most of them were fishermen, but all of them grew up in fishing villages. So they knew about the water. They knew about sailing. They knew about fishing. And yet they go out in this boat and, and these winds kick up. A little something about the geography, the topography of the land there. The Sea of Galilee is the lowest freshwater sea on planet Earth. It's several hundred foot below sea level. You think we got it bad in New Orleans. This is several hundred foot below sea level. The Sea of Galilee actually empties into the lowest point on planet Earth, which is the, great, uh, the Dead Sea, um, which is not a freshwater body. But the, the Sea of Galilee is 8 miles wide by about 13 miles long. And the, the topography of the landscape, you've got mountains kind of on both sides of it, and it causes these convection currents which stir up these storms that enter in from the south, and, and they just kind of show up from out of the blue. Now, most of the storms we get out here are these, kind of, the, these fronts that kind of, uh, you know, moisture pulling in from the gulf, and, and you can see this stuff kind of coming. Sea of Galilee, you get these storms that just kind of whip up out of the blue. And it's one of those storms that these disciples face that day, that evening, as they begin setting out for Capernaum. They make it about three and a half miles out into the lake, which at that point you're kind of committed to your course of action. (laughs) And the storm starts getting really bad. Now, I've been on a ship before in in the midst of a big storm, on on a big ship, and that's kind of makes you queasy, but... You don't usually get too afraid. I've seen Lake Pontchartrain some days where it's blowing out there, and I've imagined what would it be like to be in a rowboat? Not fun. These disciples, they're tired from a whole day of ministry with Jesus, being out in the hot sun, taking care of feeding 5,000 people. They're in this boat. They're afraid. They're cold. They're wet. And then what do they see? We know from the other gospel accounts they thought, they saw a ghost. Which, put yourself in their shoes for a moment. You're out on Lake Pontchartrain in the middle of the night. You see something. It's not a whale. It's not a cloud. It's a person walking on the water. What would you think? I would think this is a haunted lake. <laughs> That's what the disciples began to think. They're in the midst of a storm, and now things are going from bad to worse. The, the waves are pounding. The, the breeze is blowing. It's starting to feel like sand blowing in your face. It's blowing so hard, and they're scared. They're cold, and now they look up, and they see a ghost. We're out in the middle of this lake, and now it's haunted. Maybe this guy's behind it all. 
And Jesus yells after him, Hey, it's not a ghost. It's me, Jesus. You know, one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis's the, the Chronicles of Narnia, Lucy, one of the kids that first makes it into Narnia through the wardrobe, uh, she's talking with this Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. If you've seen the movie, um, you may have seen the conversation. But uh, in Narnia, they have talking beavers, okay? Uh, <laughs> and Lucy has heard all, these, all this uh, murmuring about this person named Aslan. And so she begins asking, well, what's this guy Aslan about? And the beavers say this, If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Aslan is not a tame lion. Aslan in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, he's, he's this lion who really is, is a picture of, of, of Christ. He's kind of the ruler. But, but the thing is with Aslan, sometimes he disappears for a long amount of time. Sometimes he shows up in very unexpected ways, in ways that no one saw coming. And when I look at Jesus in this story, I see that, that Jesus is not a tame lion either. We... So desire to box Jesus into our religious expectations, don't we? Everybody wants a Jesus we can control, a, a Jesus that we can tame, that we can domesticate, that fits into our nice little doctrinal personality kind of ideas. He's Republican, middle class, doesn't make a scene at parties, that kind of Jesus, right? <laughs> we want... Someone that fits our expectations. You know, when I first became a Christian, I was going to a church. And the pastor used to always say this. He says, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, I, I can agree with that. But this is how he defined it. If God, God will always heal people. So if you get sick and God doesn't heal you, it's not a problem with God. It's a problem with you. You don't have enough faith. You're not reading your Bible enough. You're not uh, serving at enough things in the church because the problem's with you. Then on the other side, I've, I've, I've heard other Christians say, oh, well, God doesn't ever heal. That was just something he did back in the New Testament, and he's just trying to kick the whole thing off with a bang, but he doesn't do that anymore. He doesn't need to. That was just to kind of convince the early people. When I hear these God always or God never, it scares me because the God that I see in the New Testament he is, if there's one thing consistent about him, it's that he's consistently blowing people's minds. In one instance, he heals a guy by spitting in the mud and putting mud on the guy's eyes. Another instance, he heals a person without even seeing them. And sometimes he doesn't even heal people. There are some villages that Jesus didn't heal anybody. Jesus is not a tame, domesticated God that we can just box into our own thing. We need to exercise a good bit of theological humility when it comes to this God we serve. Because just like the disciples, we're going to find Him showing up in ways that we never intended, never expected, in ways that ha have a way of blowing 
our minds. There have been times in in my spiritual journey where I've prayed for sick people and they've been healed. There have been times where I've prayed for sick people and they have not been healed. There have times where I've prayed for a financial miracle and it came through. There's been other times where it didn't come through like that. You know, I I mentioned last week we, we tried to plant this church. We wanted to sell our condo in Kenner. We did. Actually, we've been wanting to sell it for three years now. If anybody wants to buy a condo in lovely Kenner, see me after church today, we'll set something up. My, the way I would have had this thing work out is that, that <laughs> we're called to plan a church, God, so you would validate this by selling our house really quickly and we get over here. That's not the way God had it planned out. I mentioned a few weeks back of, of a time where I encountered God in a tremendously power, powerful way that changed my life and I have never experienced God the same way to this day. And there's been times where I've been struggling with stuff inside and, and, I, and I wanted God to deal with it like that again. Like, like let me go up to the front of a church and, and just say a kind of a, a, an anonymous prayer request, you know, where nobody has to know what I'm really struggling with because that would be embarrassing. <laughs> and, and you just heal it without anybody having to know. Can we do that again? And then God says, No. The way we're going to fix this this time is you're going to confess your sins to other people and have them pray for you. I, can't we do it the other way? Can't we box it into that's the way you always show up? You always show up by, by, by kind of a, a secret prayer up at the front. Can't we do it like that all the time? And God says, no, we're trying it a different way. You know, the six months into planning this church, if you were here, uh, I had a, a heart attack and... I remember thinking in the weeks that followed, we didn't have any health insurance. For the first time in eight years, we didn't have any health insurance when I had the heart attack. And I'm like, God, why couldn't I have just had this heart attack about six months before? Whack when I was on staff with the South Shore. I'd had insurance for years. Perfect setup for if I'm going to have a heart attack, it would have been a little bit easier. But you know what? In all of these instances, whether financial or health, I'm finding that whether God shows up the way I want him to or not, he, he's always in working in my circumstances. He's always moving. And actually, I can see in all these different things, God in showing up in ways that I didn't expect it. It's actually been better for my faith in the long run. These disciples probably would have preferred a God that the moment they get out in the storm and said, Oh, God, help! (laughs) That God would have just, Oh, okay, I hear your prayers. You're you're rescued from the storm. Instead, they get a Jesus who they think is a ghost. And they're forced with the decision, Are we going to let this guy in our boat? (laughs) Are we? I mean, think about it. Dude. I mean, I'm trying to get my head around what that would be like. You know, I've seen some of these paranormal shows and stuff. But they're they're convinced at some point that it's not a ghost, that it's Jesus. And they led him into the boat. Jesus didn't simply stop the storm because they were afraid. If anything, his initial presence made a scary situation even scarier. I like what uh, Mark writes in, in his account of this story. Mark 6 51 through 52. 
Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, said, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. The disciples had been with Jesus through amazing miracles. One miracle after the next. And we see that their faith is very little. Very little. Not even mustard seed faith yet. And, and, and we see in this, this, this particular thing that Jesus, in this walking on the water, calming the storm miracle, what does he do? He, he, th- th- they find their faith grow. The, he breaks through the hardness of their heart. It's possible to be following Jesus, to be around miracles, to be showing up at church every weekend and still have a hardened heart. It is. And so how does God break through a hardened heart? Sometimes he breaks through a hardened heart by throwing us into the middle of a storm and revealing himself in a very personal way. I love this. Jesus, so this Jesus walking on the water, it's not just showing off. It has a purpose. Jesus is saying, I've got authority over the storm and you need to let me in the boat. Let me in. Jesus reveals himself in a personal way and they find their faith renewed. They find that the hardness of their heart is softened. Now there's a lot of people that think following Jesus will exempt us from the storms and the trials of life. I heard that message so much in my early days as a Christian. You know, if if you just believe enough, if you just pray enough, just read your Bible enough, if you just go to enough church functions, then you're going to be exempted from, from all the junk that normal people have to go through. You're not going to get sick. You're, you know, people are going to like you more. <laughs> but following Jesus, if there's one thing we can see throughout the New Testament, following Jesus doesn't exempt you from storms. In fact, you're going to find many times the place you find Jesus is in a storm. But that's good news. It's not the God that necessarily saves us from every trial and peril of life, but the God that we can find in the midst of every trial and peril of life. There's another guy many years ago who encountered Jesus in a storm, a storm of grief and loss. And he, like the disciples, he encountered the presence of Christ on a boat, this time in the middle of the ocean. You may have heard this story before, but there was a guy by the name of Horatio Spafford many years ago. And he was a successful lawyer in Chicago. But there was these great Chicago fires that happened that burned down most of Chicago. And and his losses in that, his financial losses, it, it destroyed him. I mean, he was in trouble. And so this came just a few years after his only son had died. So he'd experienced the loss of his only son, financial ruin. And so he finally said, look, we need a break from this. He, he talked to his wife. He says, I'm going to send you and my four daughters to Europe. And we're going to just have a vacation and try to, try to you know, get, get some healing from all this stuff. 
his wife and four daughters, they get on a boat and head out into the Atlantic. He gets a telegraph shortly after saying that his four daughters had died when the ship ran into another ship and sank in the middle of the ocean. Only his wife survived. Gaius was experiencing incredible loss. He finally gets on a boat to go join his grieving wife, and he's out there on the ship in the ocean, and he's notified that this is the spot where the ship went down, where your daughters died. And it's in that moment that he began writing the famous lines, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Are these the words of a guy that's just in denial? Are these the words of a guy that is just lost his mind because of his grief? He's just snapped. He's just gone over the edge. Or are these the words of someone who's let Jesus into the boat? This morning, I want to close by singing that song. And I realize in this room, there are people, you're in the midst of a storm this morning. You're facing some things that seem impossible. And like the disciples, you, you're, you're, maybe you have ways that you expect that God might show up. And He hasn't shown up that way. This morning, maybe we need to see if Jesus will get in the boat with us. Secondly, maybe you're here this morning and you don't have anything crazy going on in your life. It's good when you hit those phases. But you know people that are. You know people that are facing impossible situations right now. This morning, whether you're singing this song from a place of personal crisis or you're singing it on behalf of another as a form of intercession, proclaiming God's peace over someone, let it be our prayer and our proclamation. Satan should 
thank you Lord that even when you don't come when we think you we think we need you God you always show up right on time Lord God we just want to lay down our religious boxes that we try to put you in Lord this morning we let you into the boat we know that no matter what storms we're facing, Lord, that you can take us through them, Lord. And Lord, we lift up those who are suffering and hurting this morning, God, even members of our church, Lord. God, we pray that that same peace, like a river, God, would cover. Holy Spirit, that you would comfort, Lord. 
Lord, that no matter what folks are going through right now, God, that they would find you in the midst of it, Lord. It's in your name that we pray, Lord.